0: this is bottle talk with rick and paul and today we're talking about why you can't judge a book by its cover We are in a wine show or a book show, Rick? It's it's a metaphor. We're talking about wine labels. I I was being literary. I think literary is a little over our heads, my friend. As we have just proved. (laughs) I am Rick Cushman. And I am Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to talk about what kinds of wine labels connect and we'll revisit some of the most and least popular label descriptions, we'll explain what some of the words on a label mean, and a listener asks why he rarely likes wines recommended by critics. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today, Paul... We're talking about how you can judge a wine by its label. Can't okay. judge a wine by its label. Excuse better. me. That's yeah. better. But it's a wine. You still can't judge a book either. All right. Uh, It turns out lots of wineries and wine marketing folks, however, judge us. And that's why they put together the labels that they do. In fact, they study this constantly. And I found one that I thought was kind of interesting. Wait, you've got another study you're going to spring on us. Well, you know how
1: I am. I love love me my studies. It is a thing. I live for these things. I
0: I don't know why. I also watch a lot of weather. <laughs> that is, so apparently, I have I have uh, serious brain damage that has not been corrected. All right, this study comes from Wine Intelligence. They're, that's an international marketing and research company. They have a lot of good studies. Very good. Yeah, no. this one was 900 consumers across eight American states. Uh, they talked to folks who are all at least uh, uh, regular wine drinkers, and they they spend over ten dollars a bottle. So okay. these are these are people the meat that the market. Yeah, they no. want right. What they did was they they showed them uh, bottles of wine that were similar. Their foil and trim were the same. It was the the pattern was the same. All that was different was the color on a stripe at the bottom and on the foil mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the color of the foil. Um, and they asked them to. Uh, and, but they all said this. The and the the writing on the wine was black and 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 rather classic with yeah. a, with a light pattern. They asked them to rate the bottles on attractiveness and what they expected to pay and. Most importantly, how likely to buy it? Yeah, good. Nearly 75 percent found the red very attractive. Okay. Um, only fifty percent the gray. Hmm. So that's a you know that's a lot. That's a quarter a of the difference. market. Yeah, it's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, the uh, the the black, which was something they expected to, to do really well. Right. Was right so classic in, right classic in, elegant black. Right in the middle. Hmm. Um, and uh, there was a twenty two percent in. Uh, Increase in intent to purchase on the top colors. And the, the color order was this. Red first, purple second, blue third, mm. gold fourth, black fifth. Green sixth, gray seventh. Yeah, boy. If you'd asked me
1: that, I would have guessed slightly differently. I would certainly yeah. put green at the bottle, bottom. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Red, purple, blue. Those are all f- colors that we use to describe the fruits in red wine. So yeah. I wonder if there's a correlation there in people's minds.
0: Well, there's, there was a. This was a connect. Well, this is not related. Um, but what, it, you mean we're doing something that's not related? Yes, to the previous... <laughs> I know. Uh, research on dating sites uh, basically say that people wearing red are always found most attractive. Red, uh, red, yes. and may I say, the red sweatshirt you're I'm wearing, wearing a today, red sweat makes you at very moment? attractive. Yes. So you know, if I were holding a red bottle, a bottle of wine with a red label, the chicks would find me hot. I guess. I guess
1: that's true. <laughs> so I, on the other hand, am wearing a pink shirt. And yes. I'm not sure it's quite I am red not going to be comment. Attractive. You are on your
0: own on that one. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, among the things that were interesting about this, too, was that, you know, was, like we said, black was is generally considered to be a premium color. You know, you see black cars, they tend to look sure. like the most expensive cars, that sort yep. of thing. And blue is, is a color that is not as considered, considered appropriate for wine.
1: Oh, well, traditionally for food at all. Yeah. You know, the old rules were that you never put blue on food because
0: it's not a color that occurs naturally in any food that we would eat. Yeah. And gray was another one that, according to Wine Intelligence, that that a lot of wine marketers surveyed before this study thought would do well. Right. Right. They thought it would... It was that Charcoal kind of, gray, very, yeah, very that elegant, thing, very right. stylish. Right, right, right. Yep. Um, another thing that they have done, a different test, they tested styles of labels. And so, in this uh-huh. case, was um, you know everything from what they would call stately and prestigious was one style. You know, that's how people describe us a lot. I, you're stately, and I'm prestigious, or well, is it the other way well, around? Well, I think I think they say bottle talk is a, such a prestigious and, and stately stuff. show, <laughs> or maybe it's silly and and but that's another one. Um, uh, and but also they included modern, light-hearted, um, yep. and and what stood out was that the best all-arounder was that stately one. Of course. So for people that liked it for formal and informal yeah. occasions, safe. is is popular It's crossing. safe. Right. However, however, at the same time, the problem is, is that the vast majority of brands have that style of label, so and so it doesn't stand n- out.
1: So nothing different.
0: Right, right, right. right. Now, right. So uh, here, uh, well, let me, I'm going to go through these, and since you are in this industry, I'm going to ask you about a couple of these okay. So lighthearted Um, Young and more experienced wine drinkers liked lighthearted. Yes. Uh, You said young and inexperienced,
1: right? Yes. Yes. Inexperienced, lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. Millennials love labels that seem to make fun a little bit of the stately and prestigious wine industry. And
0: so did older wine drinkers or older consumers who just didn't drink a lot of wine.
1: Right, so because a... it means that they don't have to pretend, they don't have to act with a certain in a certain right. way in order to drink right. the wine. Absolutely. And
0: then the the one that that tested the best with younger American consumers was what they called eclectic. What it was was a vintage style photo of a wine barrel with a dog.
1: Yeah, uh, you know what? They missed the boat entirely. Because if we have learned anything from social media, it's Kittens, not
0: dogs. I don't know I'll that bu- sell. I'll buy anything with a dog. <laughs> so, uh, does, as as somebody in this industry, who, industry who's watched that sort of thing, I'm, I'm, you know, how important do you think that that kind of information is? How 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 much does that actually move wine sales?
1: Well, it it does move wine sales, but
0: and again, a label
1: will only get somebody to buy a wine once. Mm. They buy the wine and they don't like it. They'll take the picture, as you suggest, in the horizontal format. And <laughs> that they is will never I don't bu- like it. The and version, they will never yes. buy that wine again. Yes. So the wine has to be good in the bottle. But these days, as you know from judging as many wine competitions as you do, there aren't a lot of bad wines in the market. That's true. So you got a huge number of wines. They all taste pretty good. And the question is, which one are you going to buy? And at that point, it does become, the label does become, to a certain extent, a way for people to express their personal style. Right. Now, if a young, person is invited to their boss's house for dinner and their boss is an older gentleman such as you or me what i would describe Wait, as you stately you call me old and prestigious you call me a gentleman <laughs> that's right they might want to pick a label that was prestigious and stately yeah, because true. they want to give the right image. Right. But if they're invited to a party with a bunch of the friends that they went to college with and everybody's having fun, they might want to bring one of these fun, eclectic labels that just says, I'm kind of fun and different. And that's part of what a label does to a wine.
0: And if they want the women to like them or the guys to like the women, wear red while you're bringing red, that bottle. Wear that red. You know, interesting. And you, you knew this. This was a not really a surprise, but I had not seen this before. But it makes total sense sense to me was that these folks have also done um, studies about wine and labels in China. Yeah. And their reaction was Entirely the opposite. This yeah. was a 2012 study in Beijing and Shanghai, and they, they talked to people who drink imported wine regularly. So they weren't exactly right. wine beginners. But what they found was an overriding need for reassurance. They wanted the more sophisticated and traditional labels because that told them the wines were good. And funky and modern labels they did not like. They treated they're them with buying conscience.
1: the wine because the, of what it expresses about Western culture, and mm. they're not buying wine because they want to. If they think of Lady Gaga. They're Wine because they think of Chateau Lafite Rothschild. However, I bet red does well in China. Oh yeah, it, it oh yeah, yeah. You want you want good red, luck. and you don't want a lot of white on your
0: label. No, yeah. Um, so as long as we're talking wine labels, I want to uh, resurrect uh, a study that we talked about um, a couple of months ago because it's such a great study. Uh-huh. It was from a Harvard psychology Ph.D. candidate named Mark Allen Thornton, and he's in Harvard's Social, Cognitive, and Effective Neuroscience Lab.
1: I still like the Journal of Head and Face. Paint. Yes, we used that one a couple of weeks ago. It might have been last week. That was great.
0: And and, uh, and and Mark's parents are wine microbiologists in Fresno State, so the guy knows oh, something cool. about wine. Oh, cool, that's a good school. What he did was he uh, he compared— um, the text on the back of, of labels of wines. Yes. And then he, he, he correlated those with the ratings by both critics, um, like Wine Spectator, Wine Advocate, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then what he considered the general wine population, which is these are still wine drinkers. These are not the, su- the only supermarket casual, casual right. wine shopper. Right. This is wine.com, which is this you know, community yep. of wine people. Yep. And, and these are the things that really struck. This is the top and bottom 1%. Yep. So some of the things, and this, you're going to hate this first one. I know you do. People, the regular folk, love handcrafted. Because
1: there is only one made, way to make wine. I don't know anybody who machine makes wine. You have to handcraft wine. Yeah, so uh, every uh, wine is handcrafted. Yeah. But now it's going to be on the back of every wine label on the f- face of the earth.
0: You know, we had handcrafted sandwiches at lunch, and I loved mine. <laughs> did have handcrafted it's, sandwiches. It is. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> Although um, my lemonade, I have a feeling, was uh, machine-made. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think <laughs> and, and your Diet Coke was, was wasn't definitely, even machine-made. <laughs> <yeah>, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: all right, a couple others. With, with only a couple exceptions, nobody likes wines that use flavor descriptors. There is a shocker. And yet every winery and every wine critic wants to use flavor descriptors, and nobody likes them. And remember, we also had a study uh, a couple of months ago about how— From Cornell. And and they did—in tasting rooms, it hurt sales. It hurt sales by a lot. Yes. Uh, Well, in this case, the ones that people did like, however, people liked wines that used the description coffee in there. Yeah, because you—I mean, because, yeah— you want your red wine to taste like a Starbucks Frappuccino, apparently. I and, and the critics, however, liked espresso, not coffee, because they're <laughs> snootier. That's and right. they also
1: liked mineral. They also liked mineral right. because nobody knows what it means. Yes. Well, how, how can and, you not like a term like that?
0: And in white wine, oddly enough, the wine, the, the flavor descriptor that did ring positive was for regular folk is peaches. Peach. Yes. And then critics, it's not toast, but brioche. <laughs> it's not toast, but brioche. <laughs> and which of course,
1: is in fact, what Marie Antoinette really Said, yes. if, they don't have, if they don't have enough bread, let them, let them eat, eat baroche, rioche, baroche,
0: right? Or, or drink a wine with minerality because that was the other one. Uh, right.
1: Um, so the critics like the, t- the b- both in red and white, they like the term mineral or minerality, which has no meaning according to the very definition of the word in terms of wine. This is great. What else?
0: Yeah. Um, so uh <laughs> makes no sense. It makes sense actually, was because it's never necessary. People hated that wines where red was used to describe red wine. <laughs> I, th- I think I think the wine label writer was basically calling the 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 buyer dumb. Just in case you can't tell, well, what you got here is a red wine. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, but
1: I wonder if it isn't also because he's describing the fruit. Maybe. You know, this is this is has red fruits, and people want. From well, coffee, it, it, they want black, fruit. and they want they don't dark, want and they
0: fruit. might think red is going to be sour. Right? And, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. well. Okay. Um, both sides, uh, regulars uh, or uh, civilians and critics, like powerful for red wines. Okay, um,
1: which of course our hip young sommelier would
0: hate. Yes, of course they, they would. don't like powerful wines. No, they don't. Um, the uh, people said no to acidity, acid, tart, crisp, freshness, liveliness, all of those things. Which I think is hysterical
1: because when I drink particularly a white wine, if there is one way I would define it, it would be acid, tart, crisp, fresh, and lively.
0: Well, and I suspect actually that regular folk like would, would tend to like um, wines that have – some back end. Remember, what we, when we talk about this, it's it's the difference between say orange juice and an orange Kool Aid. It's that little bit of, of snap at the back end of it that gives it. Yes, you, just a- you know
1: what? This is going to take us back to Gary Vaynerchuk that we talked about a couple shows ago. Yeah. Because what most people want in a in a wine is not liveliness or Christmas. What they want is it to be smooth. smooth. True, 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 true. And, and though these terms imply that the wine is not smooth.
0: And by the way, critics who use these phrases often hated the words refreshing or fresh. And uh, by the way,
1: refreshing is a word that is illegal to use on a back label, according to the TTB.
0: Because it, uh, it is... It implies a, 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 that you're drinking it for hydration uh, rather than flavor. Oh, uh, interesting. Um, one of the... Uh, a set that folks liked... Yes. Which was rich, velvety, supple, and smooth. And smooth,
1: smooth the rich, very um, word that Gary Vaynerchuk says you should not use to describe wine, and yet that's
0: what people like. Yeah, you know, people call us velvety and smooth. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no. They don't even get close to that, but... <laughs> Oh, Supple, maybe. Well, well, <laughs> yes, I think they call us tart and acidic. <laughs> um, uh, they did not like food pairings. This is another funny thing. And remember, we remember this from the last time we went through right. this was, and the food pairing they hated the most was goes well with pasta. With pasta. First of all, there's no such thing as pasta.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, right. I mean what the heck is pasta? Is it is it fettuccine Alfredo or is it spaghetti bolognese? Those are two completely different wines. Right. But pasta is really telling your average consumer this is a cheap wine. Yeah. It's meant for a red and white check tablecloth someplace where they pour it out of a
0: jug. Yeah, yeah. The other one that did not go over well with and I understand this with 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 uh, regular folks was food friendly. hmm And and I think that's because they have been in too many places where they went they tasted a wine, this happens in tasting rooms mm-hmm. a lot. Where they go, oh, our wine is food family. And what it means is the wine's leaner. It's not all those – it's not that smooth wine. It's not that lush and velvety I think, wine.
1: I think it's because most consumers don't know what it means, but it also generally implies that the food is more important than the wine. When, and when you're spending money on wine, you kind of want the wine. But I, I actually like –
0: food-friendly Yeah, ones, I think it also implies that that you can't just drink it by itself. Right, and that's and, right. You need something to round out the flavors. Yeah, um, everybody liked, including critics, when there was phrases like "greatest," "exceptional," and "perfection." Now, those are terms that people use to describe us all the time. Exactly right. Um, they also use uh, "rich." Uh, people liked "rich," "refined," and "multi layered." Multi layered. We are so often called multi layered. <laughs> <laughs> And critics love the word vineyard. People didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Yes. Well, yeah. you're multi-layered, exceptional, and uh, velvety smooth uh, Rick and Paul will be right back in just a moment because we are going to take some questions from our listeners. This is Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to take some questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine, we spell out and. And look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just one little bitty click. If you're new to us, by the way, uh, you might want to know what qualifies us to be answering questions. Well, there's that velvety smooth. That's nice. That nice. Oh, that we do, and don't forget the refined,
1: multi-layered. Uh, yes,
0: and there's actually, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, a lot of respect for Paul in the wine industry. <laughs> he, 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 I, I'm shocked myself. <laughs> he answers questions on AllExperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College, the CIA in in uh, in Santa Elena. yeah, and around the world, actually. Yep, And
1: Rick, um, a quite well-known wine judge, head judge of the California State Fair for a couple of years there, Capitol Public Radio wine commentator, uh, wrote a couple of books, one of which became a New York Times bestseller on the barefoot spirit. And
0: You'd when, think he'd know more than he shows on the show. And when we get to our uh, history moment, I'm going to uh, re- recall a moment from that book only because it fits the label theme. Oh, cool! Yes. Okay, good. It, it's a velvety and smooth uh, description, a I food might say. Yes. All right. Good. Well, we have a question from, from Suzanne in Davis, and um, and I like this question. Uh, it's uh, what does focused mean? Uh, what's a focused wine? I also see that in food. There's a food writer who keeps calling things focused or not focused enough. That makes no sense to me. What is focused? I have no idea. Uh, the term is kind of blurry to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so unfocused. It's, it's it's and it is not a velvety or smooth. Okay, we're gonna stop doing that joke. Uh, but it is because uh, it stopped being funny about eight minutes ago. Well, well, I can I'm, let me let me for just a moment talk about the food side of this because it also spills over into the wine side, which is is it's the it's a common phrase among bad food writers, uh-huh. and which is that they don't know what to say about a. a a, a meal or a restaurant, when they can't exactly figure out why they, they can't figure it out. They can't figure out. So they say the they other say side it's unfocused. Is unfocused. Right. Right. It's exactly right. Yeah. You know, and and it's, it is it is. I see this too often. Yeah. But the, But but the, the flip side of it is with food writers when they talk about how a food a dish is a dish is focused. I have no clue. Yeah. But. Well, I, there's, a, there's an element to this that
1: sort of works for me in that if I'm making a, a Napa Val- – no, let's, let's use an even more obvious example. Let's say a Lodi Zinfandel and the wine seems to capture exactly what Lodi Zinfandel should be – rich, ripe, chocolatey, dense. Um, okay, I can see how you would describe that wine as a, 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 an example of Lodi Zinfandel yep. imperfect perfect focus. Yep. But why wouldn't you just say example a, of, a perfect like, example of Lodi's infidel right. instead you, of saying it's focused, which you then have to, the immediate question that follows is on what? right and right. then you have to say, well, on the perfect example of Lodi's infidel, which you could say in ahead of time and save yourself the word focused
0: yeah i yeah it is um it it's you know this as as we as you hear if you ever listen to our um, our horrible wine writing segments, is that it's these there's these sort of generic terms, unfocused terms I might argue, um, <laughs> that wine writers love to throw around because they think it makes them uh, makes the review sound better. Uh, it, but
1: somebody it, used it once, they got away
0: with it. And they liked it. It appeared yeah.
1: in a couple of reviews. Mm-hmm. Everybody said, oh look, here's one more word. I've got to write
0: a hundred wine descriptions this week. Here's one more word I can add in." Of the book. Yes. But in short, uh, Suzanne, when when we see it on a description, we have no clue. No clue. <laughs> what I'm waiting for is focused minerality. There you go. A focused <laughs> velvetness. That's what I want. <laughs> Our next question comes from Nelson in South Lake Tahoe. Excellent. He says, I read wine magazine's and reviews now and then, but almost always when I take a critic's suggestion, I don't like the wine. Uh, when my friends tell me they like something, I tend to like it. This kind of freaks me out. Well...
1: Nelson, hang with your friends and leave those critics behind.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to uh, quote because, you know, me, me and my research, uh, the Journal of Wine Economics. This was a, a paper from the Journal, uh, journal of Wine Economics uh, uh, two or three years ago. And they found an inverse relationship between wine ratings and general public's perceived quality. That's economics Which is to economists say saying, that the better the rating, the less the average consumer would like the wine. Yes. What they said was unless they are experts, individual on average enjoy Less, enjoy less, if they put it backwards, more expensive wines less, or less expensive expensive wines wines, more. more. Well, you know, I do this
1: tasting every year at Napa College with my students, and my students at Napa College are not 20 year old kids. They are 35, 40 year old people who have been in the wine industry for three to five years. They are way more knowledgeable than the average consumer. And I do a blind tasting every year and ev- with a selection of wines from a selection of regions and a selection of price points. And every year for the past 20 years, the least expensive wine has won that tasting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is consistent and noticeable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the truth is that the more expensive the wine, the more likely they are to be a little quirky, a little unusual, a little odd. And those are things that most people don't want in their wine.
0: You know what they really want in their wine? Smooth and velvety. Smooth and velvety. It's true. You know, there's there's another another thing at work, and this is in in defensive critics. Um, you know, I spent 15 years, uh, 16 years actually, as a television critic, and one of the things that I knew I, I was I was fighting against, but I also at the same time, you know, talking to my fellow uh, television critic friends. By the way, as a group, we're uh, very unsnobby. You know, people who, love, who worry about television love well, television, love the I'm entertainment sorry, Rick, value. If
1: you're if you're writing reviews of the Brady Bunch, how snobby can you? you know, be? Well, that's part of it.
0: You know, or you know, Survivor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, dear god but but what we always reacted to and 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 certainly a lot of folks we you know because we all we would get together periodically down in LA for events and and we would all sort of talk about how not to let this happen to us too often which was that something that was new and different Mm-hmm. Was exciting to us because we watched so much television. In, yes, and I think that in this is so in in defense of wine critics, which is that they taste a lot of wine. And frankly, right. you know how it is when we were judging wine. We've gone through you know flights and flights. When something stands out in one way or another, even as a certain kind of odd distinctiveness, right. It's interesting to us. Yeah, and and it may and I I've had this you know I'm out with my wife and and she doesn't like it and I. I really want to spend some time with that one glass of wine simply because it's interesting.
1: Right. And she'd rather have you spend time with that one oh, glass she'd of wait wine instead at a different of, table if entirely right. possible. Instead yeah. Of spending time with her. And so I think that's part of it too, you know. And,
0: um, and there is. Um, so I. So, but it is a combination of. You know, critics. You know, very honestly, having slightly different palates because they drink a lot of wine, and right. um, and and also, you know, looking for something interesting, looking for something different because they've seen so many things that are kind of the same, but yeah. kind of the same. Tastes good. And you know, one of the things that uh, so so uh, uh, Nelson. One of the things to do is if you find a critic that. That is a guide to you, even if it's just something that you this person always dislikes and you like, or vice versa, that's great. If you have friends whose guidance works, man that's
1: awesome that is awesome that yeah. is the best of all because you can send them a text in the restaurant and say, "Hey, what was that wine we ordered here the other night, and yeah. they'll send you a text back, and you're golden
0: yeah, and that is that that's it, but you know because we we do and and so don't uh, the the lesson there is also don't let price be the defining factor for you as well. You may very well like a wine that is... If somebody helps you find a wine that you like, drink it. Yeah, right. All right, Kate, we have a whole bunch more questions, and we've got some uh, wine labels and some bad writing and some history and all kinds of fun stuff in the second half of the show. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We will be right back. Stay with us. (laughs) You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. For some reason, that music wants to, makes me want to say, oi, oi, oi. What it does mean is that it is time for some really horrible wine writing. Paul, what'd you bring in today?
1: I brought in the famous and lasting tradition of math formulas. <laughs> oh, in I love wine math writing. formulas. Yes, now, oh, well, I, you actually know math, yeah, so I know, these are even it more Helps fun so you. much, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's stuff like when they describe, that you're, they're supposed to be telling you something helpful about the wine, right? And here's what they say: aged 16 months in 75 percent French and 25 percent American oak barrels, 40 percent new. All right, let me do the math here. It's, no, that, see, that's a word
0: problem. Seven point five. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. No, I think this is calculus. I think you need... <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, first of all, it doesn't tell you anything about the wine.
0: Of course, it does not.
1: Um, and and at the same time, it, it you know one of the great lines I learned when I was studying to be a teacher many many years ago was that in any presentation, people will remember one and possibly two numbers. You got four numbers in one sentence there. Uh. So they're going to lose the numbers anyway, and in the meantime, doesn't tell you anything about the wine. And ultimately, it doesn't make sense because you don't know the 40% new applies to the French oak, the American oak, all about right. right. oh, 16 months. Doesn't matter. Don't care. Tell me something interesting about the wine. This ain't it. it.
0: Yes, yes. Or and, and our engineer, Matt Bassini, asked the question, because this doesn't explain that to people who don't know. Is there two kinds of oak in the same barrel? <laughs> it's, right. Yeah. It's, That's right. right. We have no idea. You know, you know we, had, we did a show oh, two or three weeks ago about wine headaches and sulfites. Yes. What really this causes is wine, wine headache. headaches is math. <laughs> it's wine math. All right. This so, is a wine headache. So Forget I, the
1: sulfites. I,
0: I, I chose my example uh, to, to echo yours. Oh, good. Okay. This is this is uh, this is a critic, dear lord. Um, it was 100% barrel aged for an average of 14 months in about 40% medium plus medium plus toasted new oak, consisting of 60% American, 37% French, 3% Hungarian. Tasty notes: dark, almost black, purple color, ripe cantaloupe, melon, mincemeat, toast, clove, ripe black cherry, sweet pears. Flavors are similar to the aromas, <laughs> spicy with ripe sweet food underneath. Okay, but is it any good? And, you know, it's that thing with the—there's the, so many—this is like the—this is the, like, if we wanted to take out all the things that's wrong with wine writing cr- uh, or critiques or uh, bad yes. tasting notes, it's all in here.
1: Well, if you took everything that is bad out, there wouldn't be much left here.
0: Yes, there. there's the—,
1: the 100% barrel aged for an average of 14 months in about—in about—, in about Forty percent medium plus toast, and, uh, consisting of sixty percent American, thirty-seven percent French, three about three percent Hungarian.
0: Yes, yes, dude. Yes. <laughs> well, at least it adds to hundred percent. That's something. <laughs> um, it was, uh, oh, and it and then and then the tasting notes were just a list of flavors. You know,
1: it, but I'm it was, sorry, but here's here's there is a there is a cognitive dissonance in this description here. Right. Black purple color and ripe cantaloupe right. melon. Right. I don't want black purple color and ripe cantaloupe so melon that, in the same. What is my cantaloupe wine?
0: doing in my dark wine? That's right. It, it's you know what it is It's Spoiled cantaloupe. <sighs> Got nothing else. Oh, there's mince just
1: mincemeat.
0: Mincemeat, right. Right, right. Now,
1: do they mean minced meat, or do they mean
0: mince meat, as in the mincemeat meat pie? Minced meat. It was one word, so it meant okay, meat. I'm guessing yeah. they're guessing mince meat pie. But nonetheless, minced meat pie has minced meat in it. So yes, it does. It um, and and then sweet pears. So you've got a couple of a white melon, descriptors and, and, uh, and some dark descriptors. Even,
1: even ripe cantaloupe melon.
0: Yes, this as was opposed to ripe cantaloupe. Something else. This was, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think this was a, a Malbec. I was going to guess Malbec, actually. I think this was, yeah. Because of the dark color and the yeah. strange fruits that don't match anything to do with the rest right. of it. Right. But, but, you know, so so the first two thirds that weren't even necessary. And then, it, yeah. and then, and I still don't know if I'm at this, what it tastes like or what I'm going to like. I'm it. just
1: glad to know that it was a cantaloupe melon yes. instead of a cantaloupe something well, else. Well,
0: that's true, too. Um, I got, We've got some old jokes that are inside, and I won't, I won't. I won't uh, bring them up at the you moment. You will not mention Sharon I was Melanie not again. going to do that. <laughs> we have to, we're going to have to do a show explaining all of our inside jokes someday. <laughs> you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free with just a click. And we have more information on labels and some wine history when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I always feel so noble and refined. I think that was a, fla- a flavor uh, descriptor that people like distinguished liked. and prestigious oh, and velvety and smooth. Velvety and smooth <laughs> Those trumpets right. make me feel velvety. Nice and job, smooth. guys. They are velvety and smooth. So it's our history moment for the week. Time, would you bring in?
1: Well, we're talking about wine labels. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and talk about the oldest wine labels I know about. They were the wine labels on the amphora that were, that were um, buried, entombed with King Tut in King Tut's tomb, as it were. Were they red? uh some red some white
0: okay cuz red was you know it was popular That's
1: right yeah. <laughs> no no the wines i'm not ta- i don't know about the labels, oh, I'm the, labels about the labels in fact yeah. were made out of clay uh-huh. cuz it's an amphora and they would put a little cl- fresh clay seal over the top of the amphora when it
0: was finished well, fermenting the, and all. the smart roman uh, marketers used red clay Egyptian. Egyptian, Egyptian, right. These Egyptian, are pre-Roman, right. Tut, so right, you never say. know. Yeah, but well, those interestingly, guys, enough, marketing.
1: interestingly enough, in the hieroglyphics that they put on the text on the labels were the year the wine was made, the place the grapes were grown, the name of the person who made the wine, and the style of wine it was. Wow. So basically you've got vintage, wow. appellation, producer, and Varietal, all on the label. Did they say whether they were
0: handcrafted?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They didn't mention handcrafted. (laughs) Just wondering. They didn't mention minerality. But here's something that's fun. The wines, even the the wines that came from the Egyptian region, and remember in the ancient world, the best wines would have come from Greece and Lebanon, not from Egypt. They still, the name of the producer was a Lebanese name. Hmm. Which is to say they either had consulting winemakers from Lebanon that they brought to Egypt to show them how to make better wine right. or they were faking it.
0: Well well, you know, Mesopotamia was the birthplace of wine as well as it was the birthplace of us. So
1: there you go. Well yeah. actually Africa was the birthplace of us. But That's you're right. True. Cradle of life. Cradle of alive. cradle of civilization. Yes, there we go. So
0: All what have right. you got? I got a label story. And okay. it actually comes from my book, The Barefoot Spirit: Self Promotional Moment. Um, but it is a great label story, and it tells you something about the wine industry and how it's changed. Um, mm-hmm. It uh, we go back to 1985, ancient history. 1985, the founders of Barefoot are thinking about a label. The name evolved from a wine called Barefoot Bynum. Davis I Bynum it well. was making this wine. He was actually yes. making an Alameda. He moved out to Russian River area, and he stopped making it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the folks they were looking for a, a, a non Classic stately name. They didn't want to be that wine at the mm. time. That's all there was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they wanted something fun, and so they they actually went into business with with Davis a, l- a little bit uh, in making that wine and to use his name. They were actually selling it out of his winery. In any case, they wanted something uh, very simple, and they hit on that footprint, that the, the, footprint the classic the footprint. Yep. Um, and it was footprint in the sand. They thought it was fun. It was approachable. It meant well, good times. But it also times.
1: implied that Lucy Arnaz yeah. was in the yeah. in
0: the grape thing, stomping yeah. the grapes. Yeah, it was all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. It meant that the wines were footcrafted. Yes, they were footcrafted wines. Um, and who doesn't like those? And the funny thing was the wine industry pilloried them. Yeah. They told them this yeah. was this isn't a wine label. They told them yeah. it wasn't serious you're enough. You're doing everything wrong because you're not doing exactly they told what them, we're doing. They told them that uh, they were bringing beer marketing to wine, which to which they said thanks for noticing. Good idea. They were told they'd make the industry look bad. Um, what's happened, of course, is just the opposite, the is that it, the entire industry has gone that direction. M-
1: Selling Sin- brand in America right now. Right
0: now, the single best selling brand on the planet. Yeah. They're like 15 million cases yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so very quickly we're going to go through a couple of descriptors on the wine label just so that you know how little use they are to you um, but, they, but they, they that they do exist so what do these terms mean what are wh- we starting with well we're talking the, the wine the wine the actual the variety the variety okay, so the Cabernet
1: the, Sauvignon yeah. the Merlot yes. the Zinfandel for a wine to have that name on the label it has to be at least 75% made up from that grape
0: yeah and the important thing to know is it's rarely 100% of that grape there's a couple wines that will be more likely than less. Yeah. Um, But in any case, it's okay to have other things in it, but it has to be at least.
1: Right. And, And in fact, it's a really interesting thing is as certain grapes become popular, and for example, muscat right now is very popular, there's not quite enough muscat to make all the Muscat that we're making in California. So most of the Muscat in California is not 100% Muscat. It's a, you know, it might be 75%, 80% Muscat. And then you'll blend in some other grapes that'll have some similar characters to get the same kind of wine. But if it has the name
0: of the varietal on it, it is at least 75% that varietal. Right. A couple other things too. There's the Appalachian, which is where the wine's from. Says so there's Napa Valley, Finger Lakes, Santa Barbara County. Right. Uh, that has to be 85%. That's right. So there's a simple rule here. That
1: grape type seventy five, region eighty five. Next one's vintage. Vintage is ninety five.
0: Right, and that's a surprise to a lot of folks. That that it. it so if it says two thousand twelve, it doesn't have to be one hundred percent two uh, thousand twelve. Right, and actually, if you just label it uh, more generically, say red wine. Right. It, it can be even 85%. Yeah. And often that, that doesn't mean they're getting rid of bad wine on you. It's it's really it's often just a wine making choice to hit a style. Well, so, and
1: in fact, if you look at, for example, 2011, which was a difficult year in many parts of California, many wineries blended in a little, not of an older wine, but of a younger wine, a 2012, to give it a little more body because right. the 12s are pretty rich right. and and give themselves a little more continuity from one year to the next. You don't want the the wine style from your winery to change wildly from year to year, even if the weather does.
0: Right. And then there's uh, often, often you'll see, not often, but sometimes you'll see a vineyard name on the wine. Yes. And often that will mean, however, that the wine's going to cost more. Right. <laughs> it's, it's really what it means. It yeah. has to be 100% from that vineyard. Um, and for for lots of complicated reasons including marketing, it's going to mean it's going to cost more. Yeah. But you can generally figure that a wine from a vineyard is going to have a something of a unique character in, you know, in that that they've got a style or something that that fits that vineyard. Um, and each year might So what may, what that means is if you're buying sort of these general larger wine Appalachian wines that that year to year might be exactly the same. That might be exactly or, what you want. Or, or in fact, if not exactly the same, at least the winemakers similar. paid
1: good money to try to make right. them taste as similar as possible.
0: Yeah. One of the things that, that on the other hand, if you if you see a wine that's that does have a particular vineyard, or if it says a state grown or state bottle, which means in right. in short that the wine winery has control of that from their vineyards. Those may change with the year. Now, are you supposed to memorize the year? Nah, you know. But- well, and here's the real problem
1: is, is, it, to me is if we're selling wine to consumers, the least successful wine marketers in the world in terms of wine— are basically the French. Now, Champagne knows how to sell wine, but Burgundy has done a miserable job of selling wine, and every single producer in Burgundy has 12 different vineyards with 12 different vineyard rows, and each one of them has a different name and a different price, and and no American can keep any of that straight, and as a result, Burgundy doesn't sell very well. Yeah. You come over here, and all of a sudden what we're doing is some wineries say, well, we only make one wine, but then they make 17 different vineyards. Yeah, As a consumer, you have to be a little careful here. The one vineyard got a great review from Robert Parker or one of these you – know, got 98 points from somebody, won a triple gold medal. That doesn't mean all 17 different vineyards taste that way. Right. And so the, to me, it, it doesn't help. I, I, I feel more comfortable – recommending to entry-level consumers to right. focus on brand rather than the other details right. here. Because if you find a brand that you like, they will make wine in a style that you like, and that will be replicable. And if I were to recommend a single wine from a single vineyard from a single estate and you liked it, I couldn't even guarantee that the next year you're going to like it. But
0: the often the flip side of that is some of the smaller wineries or smaller mid wineries – of which there are many and many. Yes. will have one wine that's got a vineyard on it, and that's it. That's true, and that tells you it's one of their wines yeah. that they well, that they are proud of. In fact, it could be that
1: that really is what they would call their reserve wine.
0: Yes, and and here, um, here's the percentage <laughs> that that needs to be in a reserve wine it nothing it means nothing actually you could reserve have any reserve means absolutely No legal zip. definition yes zip which, which is why the 499 wines all say reserve all on them all say reserve on them yes. because it means zero yeah
1: I now mean, this is not true in europe right it, in most it has parts legal of europe, definition uh reserve has a legal definition but in california in the united states to be reserve the requirement for a wine to be reserve is that it has to say reserve on the label.
0: Yes, it has to but. be wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Having said that, generally most wineries, especially smaller wineries, and, you know, they they still will have—their reserve wine will be among their better wines. Yes, it, it's, but you know, there if, are
1: uh, also large wineries that, that have produced massive amounts of wine, uh, and every single bottle is called proprietor's right. reserve. Yes,
0: exactly right. So uh,
1: don't careful with that reserve. Yeah, don't be using that
0: reserve Yeah. Like that. All right. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We have more questions on the way. We will get to them when we come back. And by the way, next week, you could be one of those people asking a question. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We're going back to our mailbag, and uh, by the way, you can ask us a question. You can ask us one that we can't answer. That won't be hard. That won't be hard. We'll give it credit either way. Go, Actually, we'll
1: answer anything. We
0: will answer. We just won't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word. And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free. Just one little bit. Okay.
1: What do
0: you got? Uh, our question is from Thomas in, in Livermore. Good wine country. Livermore. It is good wine country. Yep. How come wineries make so many different wines from one vineyard? This is actually kind of connects to what we were just talking about. This is a
1: great question. Yeah.
0: So he says, How come wineries make so many different wines from one vineyard? Wouldn't every vineyard be best for just one kind of grape?
1: And that's a, it's a, it really is a question of how big and where is the vineyard? Right. Because um, think of your backyard. If you think of your backyard as a vineyard, Okay, thinking? I'm thinking about it. Okay, I, yeah. I, I could no, see I, that. I, I was For those of it, yes. you in the radio audience, yes. Rick was I, stunned. His eyes drifted no. off into space and he was thinking about his backyard. It's not
0: a large yard, but oh. Yeah. So
1: that area over back up against the fence that gets a lot of sun in the afternoon, oh, yeah? that's a good place to plant tomatoes. May not be the best plant place to plant your lettuce because it gets too much sun. Wait,
0: I thought it was a vineyard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My point being that even in a small backyard you have different conditions that will create different growing Uh, character in the kind of vegetables you might plant. Same is true of a vineyard. So even a thin strip of soil where you may have one part of the backyard that's rockier, one part of the backyard that gets more water because you sprinkle it more or it rains more there, all of those things affect what kinds of fruits and vegetables will grow in your backyard. Same is true of grapes. And so you get these different segments of a vineyard that will grow different things. And to be fair, there are some grapes, even though the grapes are different, that like pretty much the same kinds of conditions. Uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay both grow... Pretty much, pretty well in the same kinds of conditions. If you can grow Pinot Noir in a region, you can probably also grow Chardonnay there. So that is that an answer to that? That is an answer,
0: and there's another answer to it too, which is that wineries just don't want to have one grape.
1: Well, that's the other thing. They need to have a handful. The worst person to be in charge of making these decisions is a winemaker because he always wants to try something new. Right,
0: right. And it's it's sort of funny, you know. The um, as you know, I've done do consulting with a lot of wineries, as do you. Mine is a little more on the how-to-speak-English side of it, but a lot of times they're asking me, (laughs) fools that they are, for marketing advice... But one of the things that comes up so often is do you think we're making too many wines? And yeah, they they're making The answer is always yes. Always yes. They've the got 24 yes. wines. Yes, you're you know, making too and, many wines.
1: Make two or three good ones and leave it at yeah, that. Yeah,
0: and it's because they want to. And of you can't course. you can't blame especially the smaller wineries. They're they're in it because they want to be in it as much as they're trying to make a fortune because nobody makes a yeah. fortune. And you know, and yeah. so so it's so fun for them. I I do like that uh Mario uh, uh Trinchero uh tr- yeah. uh Trinchero, excuse me. Um talks about before Sutter home. Hit it big with white zin, which was an accident. Well, that's a long right. story. A, for another a good time. Story. It is a great story. But his, he said, his dad. Uh, what they made at the time they were producing maybe eight thousand cases of wine. And he said his dad made twenty three different wines. Right. right. And, you know, and and he was trying to convince them, And he, so he said, let's find something. What they found was actually Zinfandel out of Amador County. Right. Which led to other things. But right. And his dad said, I don't care, just as, as long as you. Um, as we sell as much wine, and then, and then he kind of stops and says, well, "Can I still make a few wines?" <laughs> and of course he did. But he, you know, Mario's yeah. thought was, yeah. uh, "You know, we we need to have something we can, you know, actually make some money." Well, and off of. you know, the the other way to look at this is, it
1: is possible to make just one wine and be really successful. And and Chateau Aubryon, for example, was making wine that was good enough that Thomas Jefferson was buying it 250 years ago, and they're still making the same wine from the same basically the same piece of property, and they're still among the greatest wines in the world. So it is possible just to make one wine and be
0: successful. That's true. Well, speaking of one wine, this is actually kind of a fun question. It's from uh, Cindy Markham in Sacramento. Mm. She she says, is there anything champagne or good sparkling does not pair with? Yes.
1: Yes. I have the perfect answer. And ironically, it is the thing that
0: champagne is most frequently paired with. Which would be? Wedding cake. Oh, you're totally right. Although you don't... uh, Deborah Melvin, in case you're listening, do not respond to that. <laughs> I, I my wife happens to love the combination, but it's only because she likes champagne. I'm sorry
1: you get that that yeah. you know, that buttercream frosting in the champagne mm-hmm. and it just does not work and bubbles come out your ears and your nose and your eyes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, I, I, you know, it, it, there's a good argument for it not going well with a steak, too. Uh, right. I mean, big, the, thick piece unless, of meat without.
1: unless you're having a huge, rich, well-aged champagne... Right. E, that's e, true. E, you know, a, a, a Krug, a Bollinger, RD, something like that. But in and that, general... And that's a wine
0: that's going to end up being a little bit yeasty, and it's not all brightness. And, and so it's they, going to be about yeah.
1: f- 10 times what you normally like to pay for for a bottle of wine, so we don't even really need to talk yes. about it Yes, uh,
0: although, and if you are going to drink that... Um, um, Invite and, us, please. Please, and we'll bring the steaks. <laughs> yes, we, can, we will. We can totally, but that, that's actually a very fun question. All right. Yeah. Well, speaking of food and wine pairings, we've got got—we've uh, got one ahead that's just a, a little bit odd, but I got asked this the other day, so I thought I would bring and it up. And you
1: couldn't come up with an answer, so you figured, I know, I'm, I'll I know, I save it, it and I'll well, ask well, Paul. Well, I,
0: I have a few, and, and, <laughs> and some of them aren't even one. Okay. Well, they're a different kind of one. Uh, we are zipping up the mailbag. However, a reminder you can ask us a question. Uh, ask us about wine or anything. What the heck? We have relationship questions. We've bungled just as much as our wine questions. <laughs> Go to rickandpaulwine.com. Coming up, our food and wine pairing. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, time for a food and wine pairing. I was at a party the other day, and a friend said, you know, I always have a hard time with this dish. It's a pretty popular dish in Sacramento anyway. I suspect all around Northern California or really any seaside community, which is ahi tuna. Okay. How is the ahi tuna prepared? Well, that's the very question that I asked. Uh, but uh-huh. he said stalling for time, n- as I am. No, now. no, no. What he said was so. So let's do that because there are all these different sauces, the right. sweet sauces. But his was right. he had a simple grilled ahi tuna, yes. you know, a little green onion cut over it. But yep, it was maybe a really, little sesame oil, it little was soy really sauce. about the tuna. It yep. wasn't much about the sauce, and he didn't know what to order with it. Yep. He said it had, a, you know, as it does, it had that Asian. Tone to it, you know, which is the sesame oil and that sesame seeds and that sort of thing. So, what he said was, and my first thought actually was sake. Excuse me, sake. Oh yes. Ha. So you know that's the, of course that's right. That's rice wine. That's The it is. Uh, Japanese question. And there's a whole lot of those. And
1: there are a million styles of that. And a too. million styles of that too. Yeah, but, my but first there's... reaction is always for this is Pinot Noir, light style Pinot yep. Noir. Look, uh, it goes delicious. It goes deliciously. It even matches the color of the lightly grilled ahijuna. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a nice little combination. Yeah. Um, I've had this with a very crisp, bright Riesling.
0: Yeah. Well, that was my direction too. Also delicious. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, I've had it with sake i've had yeah. it with beer all of them work bubbly
0: works for this yeah but i think i uh, Pinot's a good you know there's it sort of brings that that uh, um the, the fish and wine questions what goes with it you know but right but, but and then asian flavors and and wine and there's those are um they're all some this uh, compli- they're all there's always a complicated formula based on the sauce and that sort of thing. Right. But, um, but I have to say, I'm with you. I think that Pinot Noir does really does, well. Especially because really I, think, well.
1: I think soy sauce and Pinot Noir are a good combination, yes. just in general. Things
0: that have soy sauce as a flavor and peanut Be, Noir. because because of the sauce because yeah. eh, okay there's um the, the but there are other ways that the, the ahi tuna is is served and it yes. is um you know it's it's like the the little poke uh, you know it's all chopped up and and right. um and does it work there too do you think
1: I think and then you've also got tuna tartare oh yeah, yeah which yeah. is a whole different a whole different thing. And there I would actually go with the Riesling more more than the
0: Pinot. Yeah. I think that all works for me. Frankly, um I'm really eat ha- and drink anything. That's true. Uh, that is it for another round of Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Mapatine Mapacini. Mapassini, thank uh, you very much thank Matt. Thank you, man. And thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that we will answer on the show, go to rickandpaulwine.com. Sometimes we will bungle the answer, but we will give it a shot. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes, please. You can subscribe for free one little click. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that labels can be misleading. Except except the ones that say Paul and I are velvety and smooth. And handcrafted. And handcrafted. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.